Welcome to Roman's Road, the podcast of me, Eddie Roman. This is where we talk about evangelism and apologetics and all kinds of Christian stuff. I am here with Michael Spielman. He is the man behind Abort 73. Now, if you're not familiar with that website, you need to turn off this podcast and go check it out and then come back. Don't leave me hanging forever, but you do want to see that website, abort 73 It is a all-in-one stop where you can learn all about the abortion issue. You can see all the arguments that come up in the uh, pro-choice perspective. You know, you're watching TV, you're listening to the media, you're seeing all this stuff that is proving to you that women have every right to get an abortion, and you're constantly being told all these things that make you think, huh, well, Maybe they can. But as a Christian, you know that's not true. And so what Abort73.com does, it just answers all these questions, and it does it with very nice motion graphic videos. Michael's very good as far as um, design and video and stuff like that. So it's a very up-to-date way to teach and argue the pro-life perspective. And so I'm here with Michael right now. Michael, I just want to thank you for coming on the podcast. Oh, thank you, Eddie. It's, uh, It's a pleasure to be here. I found your website quite a while ago, and I got to admit, even now, whenever I am confronted with some kind of pro-choice argument, and I'm not sure where to go with it, I check out your website, because you got so much good information on there, and it's just been a great resource. I myself have stood in front of an abortion clinic. I don't do it every week, so I'm not a veteran. I got a lot to learn, and so there's a lot of stuff on your website that, you know, helps me out. And so what do you tell people when they ask, you know, what what is your website all about? What can I learn on it? And, and, you know, just tell me a little bit about your website. My introduction to pro-life work uh, started with another group called the Center for Bioethical Reform. And and I spent the first... um, the first few years of my pro-life life, so to speak, uh, on the field, we went to a lot of college universities around the country, state schools. It was part of the Genocide Awareness Project, which compares abortion to other historic forms of genocide. And it's a really powerful tool because students are so used to looking at the abortion issue as if it's a matter of personal choice. It might be wrong for you, but that doesn't mean it's wrong for me. Um, you know, people should be free to decide whatever they want. That's what this country's all about. That's sort of their perspective. But when you juxtapose abortion against these horrific historic crimes like the Holocaust or Cambodia or, you know, segregation and lynchings in this country, then their tune changes suddenly and they recognize that there are some evils that are so wrong that they're wrong for everybody. And so that was my entry point into this issue. And I realized that most college students were defaulting to the pro-choice position because they'd never really thought about the issue at much length, and they'd never been given the other side of the story, so to speak. So even if you knew anything at all about prenatal development or the mechanics of abortion, you were worlds ahead of most college students. And so it was um, an exhilarating time to, to be able to dialogue to students who were passionately interested, sometimes very angered and upset, but they were genuinely uh, curious as to why you were there and to what this was all about. So that's sort of the backstory. The one frustration with the project is that it, when we were doing it, we could only be at one campus at a time. It was sort of a bulky and, and logistically difficult um, project to move and uh, to coordinate. And, and of course, a lot of college students are at a point in their 
belief system where they've already sort of established their mind on this issue. They're not objective anymore. And so I wanted to be able to take that same kind of education and make it more accessible to students earlier before college and to make it accessible to more students uh, at the same time. So I had some background in web development and design. And so it seemed like a natural fit. And when I looked at the the landscape at that point, this was 2004, 2005, there didn't really seem to be a website that did a very good job of sort of pooling the case against abortion into one place, making it credible, presentable, accessible. Um, so all of that sort of went into the to the thinking uh, behind Abort 73. The name itself tricks people out a little bit. Some people don't like it and they say, I want something that's clear. Some people think, oh, it sounds like you're supporting abortion. Um, but the name itself is intentionally vague. I wanted something short that could be put on t-shirts, which is one of the big ways that we market the site. And I wanted something that didn't really give away our position on the front end because a lot of people uh, don't particularly want to learn more about abortion. And so I, I want them to see Abort 73, think, what's the deal with that? What's that all about? And then ideally go to the website to take a look. So so uh, the name itself references 1973 as the year that Roe versus Wade was decided. So it could be an abbreviation of abortion, 1973. It could also mean to abort the decision that was rendered in 1973. There's a couple ways you can look at the name. But if people don't understand the name, that's okay. They're not really supposed to understand the name. It's supposed to be a, a device to, to pique their curiosity. So that's kind of the big picture backstory. I like the aspect of people not knowing exactly what the website's all about because the cool t-shirts and stickers are going to get them there. And this is an issue that so many people already have their mind made up on. So to get them on a website, not in a deceptive way, but like you said, in a vague, vague kind of way, what's that? I think that's a, a great idea. Now, yesterday, I had the day off from work, and so I went over to the local FPA. They're like a Planned Parenthood, but they are just specifically in California, and there's a ton of them. And because people aren't familiar with the name, they kind of go under the radar. You don't hear about a whole lot of FPA protesters. But I was out there yesterday, and I hadn't been there for a while, and just and it's it's a very hard location to actually talk to the women going in because of the way their parking is set up. But I was out there with a sign, one of the 180 movie signs. It says, come talk to us. And this young woman came up and she said she was doing a research project for her college class. And she had talked to a lot of pro-choice ladies. And now she was wanting to talk to the other side. And you know, she, she was uh, very respectful, but the thing she kept going back to was basically what about the feelings of the women who are in this situation where they're pregnant and they just can't have the baby for a bunch of different reasons? What about their feelings? And, and it seems that that question, what about their feelings, really encompasses so many of the different reasons that people get abortions. It, it just comes down to, like, like you said a minute ago, we live in a, a society where people do what they want. It's very relativistic. They're going to do what their feelings dictate. This is my body. This is my choice. How do you answer that one? There's a, a lot of questions or concerns people have about the abortion issue. There's all sorts of um, scenarios that they'll present as far as reasons why abortion is necessary. And, and ultimately, there's, re there's only one question that needs to be answered, and that is, is, is this a living human being? Um, if it is a living human being that, that's being terminated, that's being killed, then, then all the other reasons 
don't add up to anything. If it's if it's not a living human being, if it's a you know the moral equivalent of a tooth or a spleen or something like that, then obviously it's a, it's a different issue. So, um, as far as abortion seventy three goes, our first page, uh, the medical case against abortion, is called medical testimony, and it just goes through scientifically, biologically speaking. There's no debate as to when human life begins. It does begin at fertilization, and you look through all the embryology teaching texts, which we cite on that page. Uh, Even prominent pro-abortion advocates concede that every successful abortion kills a living, genetically distinct human being. And so when you establish that, what I would generally do is, is ask them, for specifics, they're saying the woman cannot take care of this child and, and say, okay, what do you mean specifically by that? And it's either going to be she can't afford to take care of this child, uh, she's too young, she's too emotionally scarred, she was raped. They're going to give you some kind of scenario like that. And then the follow-up question becomes, well, th- there are lots of mothers in America who are raising kids in those exact same circumstances. They are living in poverty They may have been a victim of rape. They are emotionally distressed. This child is causing them uh, serious difficulties in their lives. And and that's that's true. I mean, there's just a large portion of American children growing up in these scenarios. And are you suggesting then that the mother would have the right to kill these children because they are such a burden to her? And And of course, they would never suggest that that that's an outrageous suggestion on its face because they recognize that these are born children. And so the issue is, well, what's the difference between a child before it's born and a child after it's born? And when you ask them that question, what you'll generally find is they don't have a good reason as to why uh, there's a difference. They might say things like it's, it's smaller or it's dependent on the woman's body. You know, the My Body, My Choice slogan is false on its face because it is a genetically distinct human being. Half the time, it's a different sex. It can have a different blood type. You know, clearly a pregnant woman doesn't have four arms. This is a a separate body. It is absolutely dependent upon the woman, but that doesn't give her the moral authority to violently destroy that unborn child. So I generally try to respond to questions by asking some questions of my own and, and trying to make them be a little bit more precise in in terms of what their argument is. And oftentimes you can uh, demonstrate just by asking them questions that, that their position is not a particularly solid one. And, and as far as the concern about being a man, and this is a woman's issue, you don't have a right to, to have an opinion on this or to at least oppose abortion on this. It was interesting. Gallup did a poll this summer. They do it every year on abortion in America. And so this year, uh, 43% of American women identify themselves as pro-choice. 48% of American men identify themselves as pro-choice. So statistically in this country, men are more likely to support abortion than women are. And that actually supports what I've noticed in my ministry, even though I am a man and Abort 73 is designed and written from a quote-unquote male perspective, um, when you go through our social network feeds, our Instagram followers, our, in, our Facebook followers are roughly 75% female. About two-thirds of our shirt sales go to women. So in our ministry, even though it's run by a man, it is vastly more supported uh, on the ground by women, which is contrary to this narrative, this cultural narrative that's been floated for years that to oppose abortion is a male thing, whereas supporting it is, is a woman's thing, when, when in point of fact, it's often exactly the reverse, that you know most of our support, most of the people who are excited about the work Abort 73 is doing are actually women. 
Okay, so I really like that. You're, you're basically saying whatever argument it comes down to, step one is just to establish what is this? What is that thing, if you want to call it a thing, what is that thing inside the womb? And, you know, like you said, if it's a, if it's a tooth or if it's some kind of, you know, thing other than a human being, then, then, then who cares, you know? It, then, then sure, do whatever you want. But if it is indeed a human being in there, then no reason really matters. And, and what I like about that is that just makes it so simple because people are constantly coming up with new reasons and different reasons and, and legislation and, and popular opinion and all these different things. It's like this never-ending hammer of arguments in favor of abortion. And so a, a Christian can think, well, I got to keep up on these arguments. I, I got to really... Just keep well. No, it's it's just that one issue. Is this a child, or is it not? Is it a human child, or is or is it not? You know, people will say, "Well, it's just a fetus." Well, what kind of a fetus is it? Is it a dog fetus? Is it a chicken fetus? Well, if it's a human fetus, and it is, if it's a human fetus, fetus, then there is, then it's a human being. That just makes it so simple. You know, that's the main issue, and always always bringing it back to that. Unfortunately, though, if it was that simple, just simply using reason and logic to show someone that it is a human being, you know, if it was that simple, this, this fight would have been a long, over a long time ago, wouldn't it? And, and what, I, what I have seen, it's, like, it's almost like there's, there's two different areas when it comes to the, uh, the, the debate. There are the, the arguments, you know, that happen on college campuses and happen between friends where people are reasoning with each other. And typically, if a person does have any kind of sense of logic or reason, they usually listen, they, they understand, yeah, you know what, that's a really good reason. And even if they don't like it, they'll usually admit, yeah, that makes sense. Now, on the other side of that, you know, something we haven't really brought into this, this uh, podcast is just the spiritual aspect of it. People don't have abortion simply because it's it's a, a convenient thing to do. There's there's also a spiritual aspect. You know, we we know that people are living in a in a fallen state, and so often they're going to do things they know are wrong. And and the times I've stood in front of abortion clinics, I've seen many times where I'm trying to talk to someone and trying to reason with them, and they just don't want to hear it, and they could care less. And even though this person might have a uh, a Christian bumper sticker on their car. They're they're just gonna you know they end up cussing at me and and it's just this this crazy thing where it really comes down to it is a spiritual battle and even though people know that it's wrong they know that that's that that's a baby they're they're still just dead set on killing it for whatever you know inconvenience they see it bringing them and so what what I'd like you to maybe touch on is just just that aspect this really is more than just a matter of reasoning with someone and showing them oh it really is a human being well then we we shouldn't kill it you know where does the uh, spiritual come into this whole debate one of the reasons that i think it's hard for people to think objectively about this issue i mentioned college students often already have their minds made up and one of the issues of course is that a lot of people have a vested interest in justifying abortion either because they've had one or they know a friend who's had one or they are in a crisis pregnancy and they desperately want to get out of it. And so it's a conflict of interest in a sense because they're they're so personally invested at this point that they can't they can't see it rationally anymore. There's a, a philosophical construct called the the veil of ignorance that 
some philosophers have used to try to create a moral scheme in the absence of, of God, basically, and saying, well, all you have to do is look at things from the veil of ignorance. So with regard to abortion, say, you have to evaluate whether this is right or wrong, but you don't know if you're the mother and you don't know, you don't know if you're the unborn child. And so if, if that was really the construct and you have to decide, is this right or wrong? Is this acceptable or not? You might be the mother and you might be the unborn child being killed. I think it's pretty clear that people are going to say, you know, abortion is, is not a good thing. Um, but unfortunately, we, we're not objective like that. And so, yeah, the spiritual realm comes in because um, I'm reminded of the passage where it says people want and they do not have, and so they kill. And abortion is unthinkable from a distance, but when people are in that situation and they are desperately looking for a means of getting out of this pregnancy, all of a sudden they're willing to rationalize things that they would not have rationalized in other situations. And, and then, of course, it becomes a spiritual issue, the shedding of innocent blood. All the way back to the beginning, Cain and Abel, violence as a means of solving difficult life problems, as a means of solving relational conflict um, is as old as human beings themselves. And so, yeah, it, like you said, it's it, if it was just uh, objectively demonstrable that abortion is wrong, which which I would say it is, it, it'd be an easy uh, an easy win. But the reality is that we are spiritual beings and that we have a tendency to be blind to our own sinfulness when it benefits us in some way. And abortion, even though it can destroy women and men, it is sold as a means of liberation. And so they're willing to basically, you know, turn a blind eye to, to reason and say, yeah, I, I think I think it's justified in this case. It's it's an emotional decision. It's it's even a spiritual decision, if you want to call it that, because it it flies in the face of of objective reason and science and, and acceptability. That verse you mentioned was uh, James four two. It says, "You lust and do not have, so you commit murder." Lusting and and wanting whatever you want, regardless of the outcome, that really is what it comes down to. So often, it is a, it is a spiritual issue, and that's why prayer is so important. Whenever we're talking to someone who is contemplating an abortion. So there are a million questions that come up as far as objections, but what I want to do is just direct people to your website, because realistically, it all does come down to that one issue. Is this a human being or not? And if you just use that as, as the base of your argument whenever you're answering any questions or talking to someone about abortion, you know, just through basic thinking skills, you're going to be able to answer questions and get past whatever arguments. But again, I would encourage you to go to the website abort73.com for any specific questions or arguments that come up. So we've been talking about arguments that really have to do with, you know, what do you say to someone before they get the abortion? You know, when you're trying to convince your friend not to get an abortion, what, what is the reasoning that takes place? Um, that's definitely one very important aspect. Another aspect of this issue is what to say to someone who has had an abortion. You know, there are people in your church who have had abortions, and, and even if you don't know them, there's a very good chance they're there. I just spoke to a woman not too long ago. I'd known her for quite a while, for years, 
And she, you know, some circumstances came up and she told me about the abortion she had earlier and, and just how it's something she never talks about. And this is, a, this is a, a, a great Christian woman involved in ministry. And so there are people who are all around us who had abortions. You're going to encounter people. Maybe you're in a counseling position. Maybe you're, it's just a friend who's coming to you and you're the only person they trust. And so what I want to talk about now is just what can we say to someone or how can we approach someone who has had an abortion and just needs help. So often this this issue is so volatile that in a church you'll hear it preached against or maybe even when, with myself, I'm, I'm talking about it to someone about the issue, I can be very passionate about how sinful it is, how bad it is. And if people are going to church and they're hearing that constantly, it's going to be pretty hard for them to admit that they've had an abortion or to seek help. So it's, it's, such, a, it's such a hard issue. So... Mike, what, what kind of advice would you give someone who has a friend who's gone through an abortion or, you know, just advice to Christians who need to reach out to someone who are in the stage where they've had an abortion and now they just need help? I think it's important for, certainly for believers, to have compassion for, for everybody, um, whether the issue is abortion or not. And unfortunately, there's... Um, there's sort of the stereotype of the angry pro-lifer, and some of that is exaggerated, but some of it is real. I've seen it. People who don't seem to have any genuine love for these women and, and heap condemnation uh, on them without, from my vantage at least, any desire of, of seeing them restored and forgiven, and it's just condemnation. My experience in, in most churches certainly has not been that, that they're preaching against abortion so much that, that post-abortive women feel bad about it. My experience has been that, that a lot of churches don't preach about abortion because they're so scared of hurting or stepping on toes. And, and some of that, the heart of wanting to be compassionate, I think, is right. The part I don't agree with is that the churches shouldn't be, be speaking about abortion for fear of bringing up past pains for these women and men. Because one of the reasons that the abortion epidemic, I believe, continues in America is because the church has not done a very good job of speaking out against it. And so, because we haven't faithfully exposed the sin of abortion, we haven't been the salt and the light to the extent that we should been, we have all these women and men who are living in the shadow of abortion who might not otherwise be if the church had been more proactive on the front end in terms of educating and and speaking out on this. But getting back to the original question, I, I think it, it's compassion, but it's also not just brushing it under the rug and saying, it's okay, it's no big deal. It, it is a big deal, and innocent blood has been shed, and forgiveness comes through confession and belief. So there's, there's a repentance that needs to take place, and hopefully women in the church who have had an abortion have, have already repented and, and found forgiveness in Christ. If they haven't, if they're still hiding that or, or trying to justify that, then we don't want to minimize what's happened. We want to we want to always offer forgiveness, but you know, un, under the right conditions. That repenting is turning from past sin. It's not justifying past sin. It's turning from it, confessing, believing, and and, and you know, healing is a can be a slow process. And from what I understand from women who have um, our website has more than 750 uh, abortion testimonies from women who have gone through this, and and many of them them are believers and many of them say they they know they've been forgiven and yet it remains bitterly painful to them even though they know they're forgiven and so it's not a one time you're forgiven it's over it's something that we have to walk through with people 
our whole lives. And and so it's a you know it's empathy. It's being a church also that that cares for people and and a church that pregnant women can show up to even if they're not married. The shame of abortion, or I should say, the the shame of of out of wedlock pregnancy is a real problem in the church because it drives a lot of Christian women to abortions because they're looking for a way to cover up one sin because they they can't bear the shame of the church finding out. And in some cases, the way that the church responds to them is not a particularly good one. So we want to be a church that is compassionate towards women in need, but also a church that firmly stands up for uh, the victims of abortion who, uh, who aren't just the women, but are the, the children themselves. There's a lot of things that the church can do. What can individuals do? You know, so many people... They want to do something about it. You know, most people, in a practical sense, the only time they get to join in the fight against abortion is when it's time to vote. And they vote for politicians they think are going to do something about it. There's a lot that can be done through politics, but people want to do something. And so what are some practical ways that they can get involved yeah, the other component to Abort 73 that sort of drove its creation is that question. Because when I was doing the college work, we would get students coming up from time to time saying, I support what you're doing. I agree with you. What what can I do to get involved? And at that point, I didn't necessarily have a great answer. Abort 73 is not the only pro-life resource by any stretch, but it was designed with the intention of giving people some practical entry points for involvement. And one of those is the t-shirts. We've got a lot of different t-shirts, like the name Abort 73. The t-shirts don't directly reference abortion, so oftentimes you'd look at the shirt and it's not totally clear what it's talking about. Again, that's intentional. But in a campus setting, obviously, if you have a student who's wearing an Abort 73 shirt on a regular basis, that gets noticed. And to some degree, some of the students are either going to ask about it or go to the website directly, whether that's on their phone or their computer. So it's it's a very quick transition. In fact, we, we got a story earlier this year from somebody who saw somebody in a library at a table with an Abort 73 shirt, was interested, went to the website, describes themselves as pro-choice, said they researched it, and in the course of that day changed their mind about abortion. And the person wearing the shirt, the Abort 73 shirt, never even knew that that happened, which is, again, part of the intention. Whether somebody asks you about the shirt or not doesn't necessarily reflect whether it's having an influence because people are seeing it and the name of Board 73 is is um, getting out there. So that's one thing. Obviously, not everybody wears t-shirts, but we have other um, ways to deliver the message. We've got promo cards and bracelets and stickers, things like that. You know, abortion is such a personal issue. It just makes sense that someone's not going to come up to you and say, hey, let's talk about abortion. You know, this is usually a private thing that people are looking into on their own. So I, I love the t-shirt the idea and people checking out websites. So, you know, the t-shirts the, the are great. Yeah, thank you. I, I, yeah, and I agree as far as um, even in the college setting when we were on campus, I think students were sometimes constrained in the presence of their friends to really open up and evaluate what they thought because they're feeling some pressure from those around them to conform to a certain mindset. Um, so again, the t-shirts are one way. We've got other ways with, with promo cards and as far as the virtual community, we have a lot of, um, of ways to, whether it's through Facebook or Instagram, to share our graphics. I, I post basically every day something from the website, whether it's an article or a, a promo material, something that you can like or reshare yourself. As you mentioned, Eddie, we've got a number of short videos that um, people can share. So there's a lot of simple tools with regard to Abort 73 to get involved. We Obviously, we, we're a nonprofit, so we are funded 
almost exclusively by private individuals. There's a few churches that support us as missionaries, but so we absolutely have a need for, for financial support. And the most important ones are, are just regular monthly donors who are given 20 or 30 or 40 or whatever dollars a month because they believe uh, in this issue and, and they think that our approach is a good one. Uh, I did want to just say, I think everybody at some point should go to an abortion clinic um, at least once. In Myrtle Beach, we don't have an abortion clinic. And I was living in Rockford, Illinois before that, and the clinic actually closed when we were there, which was a great thing. But when you go to the clinic and you're outside its doors, you just you feel the weight of the issue in a way that you don't anywhere else. It becomes real to you. And whether you have access to the women or not, you see them go in, you know what's happening, and it, it's heavy. It's very heavy. And so just whether you have a sign or just go to pray, you know, just to be there makes the issue real in a way that um, that it probably wasn't before. And I think that there is real value in having people out there and, and just saying, you know what, I don't support this. I don't want this in my community. Yes, it's inconvenient. I, like you said, I don't want to be here doing this, but I feel important enough about it that, that I'm going to be here. So I think everybody at least once, if you oppose abortion and you live in a community that has an abortion clinic, you should go there as a, as a physical witness against it. And whether that becomes an ongoing thing or not, who, who knows? But the value of being there at least once is, is real and significant. One of the things about your website is reading some of the articles and the testimonies of women who talk about their experience with abortion. It really does make it real. Like I, I couldn't get through some of those stories because they were just they were just so so sad, so horrific. You know, this is this is an issue that is a very personal, private, horrible issue to so many people and. You know, we just throw around words like abortion and pro-choice and pro-life, and, and it's just so much of part of the news and part of the media now that we really don't think twice about it so often. But, you know, going and standing in front of an abortion clinic and just, you know, even even if you are just going to stand there to observe at first, it really does do something to you. It really does make it real. And so often we don't think that this is a big deal when we're not directly involved. If we're the ones that aren't in the situation where we got to decide whether to get an abortion or not, well, we just think, well, that's that's the issue for other people. Those are the bad people. Those are the people that get abortions, and it really doesn't affect me. And yet, there's a Holocaust going on in our own neighborhoods, and it's so important that that we just become aware. And even if it's something as simple as going to this website and getting a t-shirt and, and making the issue visible, we can all do something. I, I would just encourage you, if anything, after you listen to this podcast, go over to the website, check out you know some articles, like, watch some videos, buy a t-shirt, if anything. You, know, you need some new clothes. Your clothing styles are not up to date. You need a new t-shirt. But uh, yeah, just, just do whatever you can to support. Michael's been doing a very great job full-time for a long time. And, you know, this is, this is all he does. The, the website is there because of him. And so I would ask you just to check out the website, support Michael and the website if you can, and let's just continue praying. This is an issue that affects all of us in one way or another. Most of us know someone who have had an abortion, and it's an ongoing problem. And so visit that website as soon as you can. And Michael, I just want to thank you for coming on this podcast. If you have any last Closing comments or thoughts or just, you know, what, what would you like to leave the, the Christians who are listening with? What would you like to say to them? Well, first off, you're welcome, and I am grateful for the opportunity to be here. Um, it's 
not terribly often that Christians are reaching out to me to, to hear from, from what I have to say on this issue, so I do appreciate it. Yeah, I would, I would just say that for many years, for the first 10 years of my Christian life, I was uh, relatively indifferent to abortion until I, someone said, you know, most Christians in America are dealing with abortion just like the priest and the Levite dealt with the beaten man on the side of the road. They feel bad about the injustice, but they're not doing anything about it because they've rationalized that it's not their problem, it's not their responsibility, it's not their calling. But the underlying warning of, of Luke 10 is that when it comes to neighbors in need, and I believe that unborn children are neighbors in need, I am responsible and I am called. And, uh, and I think you are too. All right. Go check out that website, abort73.com. If you've learned anything from this episode, or if you've enjoyed this podcast in any way, please give it a good review on iTunes. This is the best way for other people to notice Romans Road and give it a listen. The more Christians we have learning about evangelism and the more evangelism taking place, the more we glorify the Lord. Ray Comfort here. If you haven't yet subscribed to this podcast, please take a moment to do so now. On your phone's podcast app, search for Romans Road, and when you find it, hit subscribe. It's free, and by doing so, you'll get all episodes past, present, and future. Then when you're finished, head over to livingwaters.com for a huge collection of evangelism videos, articles, tracks, and resources to help you share the gospel with those around you. That's livingwaters.com. Thanks for listening to Romans Road. If you want to learn how to evangelize, check out my book, Search and Rescue, available at eddyroman.com. On my website, you'll also find videos and other things to encourage you to preach the gospel to your friends and family. That's eddyroman.com. See you next time. Yeah.